Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Cargillfield Talks. At a time when we cannot welcome parents to our school site and communicate as much as we normally do, we hope to share our expertise and tackle some of the issues that are facing children and parents in the age range of our school. That's for three to 13-year-olds. My name is Rob Taylor, and I'm the headmaster of Cargillfield School. We're based in Barnton to the northwest edge of Edinburgh, and we're about to celebrate our 150th anniversary. And over this time, our, our prep school has developed into one of the leading prep schools in Scotland and the north of England. For this, the second of our podcasts, we're going to look at the part technology plays in the education of younger and pre-adolescent children. I suspect that for all of us, Technology has become increasingly important over the last 12 months. Digital communication has become central to our ways of working, our access to entertainment, and to how we communicate with family and friends. Would I have considered sharing my views online just a year ago? Words such as Zoom and Teams meant very different things. And if someone had suggested that I could teach a class of children, chair a debate, or address the whole school in front of a computer screen, I would have been amazed. In times before that, I do think that many of us had concerns about the impact of technology on our children. Many prospective parents would ask me what part computers played in our education, and I often felt that they were relieved when I told them that children at Cargafield are not allowed mobile phones, that we'd not gone down the route of children basing their learning entirely on individual devices. Learning to write or to create with simple tools that don't run out of charge. To understand concepts through things that we can touch and feel in the real world. All of this is important. For example, concepts of number. I've seen those come alive in the pre-prep using Numicon blocks. And I have to say, I've yet to see any app that beats the likes of clay or mudrock for self-expression. If you ask children whether they'd rather be in front of a computer screen or in the cricket nets or climbing a tree, I know what the vast majority of them would choose. But the genie is out of the bottle. We've required our children to be sophisticated in their management of learning software, and they have been. Of course, we were already using technology as an important part of our teaching beforehand. I've seen a generation of teachers younger than me who have brought with them exciting ways of introducing topics on interactive screens. Screens that can link to tablets and by which children can celebrate their understanding with the whole class at the touch of a button or by walking up and drawing something on an electronic board. I was chatting the other day to Jan Harbour, one of our P3 teachers, but someone who's also taught in Primary 1 and managed the Cargafield Nursery for a year. She's an experienced and hugely capable teacher, but also part of that younger generation of teachers who've grown up with technology at the heart of their classroom. I started by asking her how important technology was in her teaching and whether we should be concerned about introducing children to technology at too early an age? 
Well, I think the most important thing is that whenever you're approaching anything to do with the children's learning in relation to technology, that you're thinking of what you want to achieve as the end result. So just getting technology involved in every lesson for everything is never going to be beneficial to the children's learning. It's not going to enhance the experience. And so I think absolutely crucial to everything is that you start with what you want to achieve. Now, I think when you take that on board and you build that into your planning, technology can be a fantastic tool at extending and developing young children's learning and also enhancing their experience. So those who are maybe not so engaged with learning, it can often be the hook that gets them involved. Fantastic. And could you give us some examples? Are there particular things that you found especially successful with the children either in P3 or in P1 where you were teaching before or the nursery? Well, I would certainly say that the three things you need to to keep in mind are that you're really looking at developing the children's skills in using technology safely. So that's one of the key things that we're trying to establish as one of their sort of lifelong learning habits, that they're not just going on to technology without thinking about how can they use it responsibly? How can they keep themselves safe? And ultimately, that process begins when you start introducing technology, whether that be through an iPad, through using various websites or apps. It is really important that they are doing it in a responsible and safe way. And so it's important at that point to make sure that they are getting those experiences of how to access these types of technologies safely and that they know how to do it safely and that they can start doing that increasingly more independently as they go through the pre-prep and into the upper school. I would also say that we are effectively trying to enhance the way that they learn by using technology. And so some examples of that would be things like Nessie, which is a fantastic early intervention tool for spelling, things like Book Creator, which is a brilliant tool for developing creative writing. Squeebles, which are apps that we use to develop their learning in maths. And the thing that's important about that is that it's the way they're learning that we are trying to encourage. So we're we're focusing on visual learning, kinesthetic learning and audio learning so that those children who maybe feel slightly disengaged or find those things slightly difficult are much more engaged, they're much more enthused by some difficult concepts sometimes, but in a much more engaging way. And the third thing I would say is that we're trying to enhance the learning experience. And that is really taking an idea and looking at how we can run with it. And we've done that several times in the pre-prep. I know in the nursery, when we've been looking at wildlife and things like that, we've used wildlife cameras that are photo operated to, um, or sorry, movement operated to take photos. Uh, but also we've done things like Q&A sessions through Skype, where we've spoken to rocket engineers in California. So it's that idea that it's it's using technology safely, It's how enhancing the ways that we learn, but also thinking about how we can enhance the learning experience. And I suspect sometimes much easier to have children working at their own pace or following their own interests when they're working on individual devices. Absolutely. And that is one of the key things for particular aspects of the curriculum. And again, comes back to that idea of knowing what it is you want to achieve before you begin. 
So, for example, uh, through NESI, the spelling program, you can make it incredibly individualized to each child. Now, that can encapsulate children who are extremely dyslexic or it can be, you know, children who are very gifted at spelling and it will adapt their learning to a level that is appropriate to them. And so I think as the children do develop, as they get older, as they have different strengths, we can really tailor their learning to be enhanced by that. Jan, thank you very much. Those are those are some interesting thoughts and uh, really appreciate you joining me and come on and sharing them with me. Thanks again. No problem. And the websites and apps that Jan mentioned, plus a number of others that we've found especially successful with our younger children, can be found on the Cargillfield website, along with this podcast. As our eight-year-old children move into Form 4, technology becomes a defined part of our curriculum, and we're lucky to have a specialist teacher in one of our deputy heads, Ross Murdoch. Ross has had an especially busy year as he's led our initial approach to remote learning, getting staff and children onto the Microsoft Teams platform and teaching us all how to conduct live lessons online as soon as we returned after the Easter holiday. His department includes design technology in a purpose-built workshop, and that's always been one of the most popular lessons at Cargafield. In fact, when you're allowed to, do come in and see us and wander into Ross's design technology workshop because you will enjoy that visit. But more recently, Ross has also rebranded information technology as we knew it and rebranded it as computer science. And when we caught up with each other recently, I started by asking him just why he did this. Well, I was doing a mixture of different things, internet safety, using the usual packages like Word and Excel and PowerPoint, bit of graphics work. And we did a little bit of coding, but it felt that with lots of our teachers making use of our IT suites and using some of these packages, there was a little bit of duplication. And I felt while I can introduce the children to produce a Word document or how to do a PowerPoint, the actual topic work was better done in the subject. So I kind of compressed that area and it allowed a bit more free time to develop what I felt was up and coming with more coding. And uh, I was approached by a parent whose child was particularly keen on coding. And he showed me a YouTube video of these two guys in New Zealand in an auditorium with these 12, 13 year old children talking about computer science and talking about the background of it. They weren't sitting at computers. They were using props. They were using white, ordinary whiteboards. And they were, they were talking about binary and how you can make an, an image using code. And it was quite interesting. And so I thought, well, I'll, I'll try that. And I did it with our kind of middle year, Form 6, and they loved it. They thought it was a bit odd that I told them not to log on to their computer when they came into the IT suite. And we were going to do something without computers. And, and at the end of it, there was, a, there was a really good reaction to it. And it, it was a lot of fun. So I've kind of gone from there and developed that throughout all five year groups in the upper school. And the pre-prep are also using various websites to do a bit more coding. Now, coding was a term I suppose I vaguely understood. But just for those parents who, who perhaps don't, what would you describe coding? How would you characterize it? So obviously using computer, you are typing or you are using blocks of, of 
code which are instructions to get something to move around a maze or to do some mathematics to calculate something a lot of what i do which is really good for the primary age children is use this block code where they have to solve puzzles and they have to think about the the, the problem and and work out an answer um using instructions basic instructions like move forward turn right count these kind of things so coding it, it's working things out i think it's problem solving um using basic instructions which is which is which is brilliant for children this age but but i've also sort of sitting in your lessons and chatting to various children i've i've seen that there are some children who have a huge amount of enthusiasm for this topic and this subject and and i wonder if you'd have particular advice or guidance as to how to parents can support their ch child's enthusiasm or even help them to take it further yeah i get asked this quite a lot by parents who say oh they love that lesson that you were doing the other day and particularly in remote learning where the parents are in the background sometimes watching and they say oh that they, they've actually gone back to the computer now to carry on and, and and do stuff it's quite a creative subject and in the current circumstances we don't have the code clubs that you could go to in town or that we used to we actually used to take children to um so it's a little bit more difficult now but I've recommended a few websites. I use code.org a lot. There's Code Kids. There's lots of websites, particularly if they want to move on to the next step from what we do. Python is the most popular language to start with if you're if you're just branching away from the block code that we use into more sophisticated code. So Python's the next thing and there's been a few children that have got in touch and I've recommended that and they've gone on to do to do that. Brilliant. And of course, we, we'd uh, we'd recommend that any of our parents or prospective parents, if they're interested, get in touch with us and we can perhaps point them in the right direction. Ross, thank you so much for your time. Really good to chat that through. Thank you. Again, the apps and websites that Ross mentions can be found on our website, along with this podcast, as well as the information about other software and apps that we use regularly within our teaching such as NoteFlight for music composition, or Quizlet, which is particularly popular for classical and modern languages, and the MyMaths website that most of our children use to practice extra maths. Of course, as children start to get older and they see the opportunities that social media provides for them, technology looms even larger in the lives of our children. I believe firmly that parents and schools share a responsibility to prepare our children for a life in which digital media exposes them to a much wider world. Each child has their own account on our network and we ask everyone aged eight and upwards to sign a contract that they will not misuse this technology. This may sound overly serious, but we think it's important that they treat this exciting new opportunity with care. Of course, when children get out of school, we cannot easily monitor their access online. And so we make regular internet safety briefings part of our curriculum. This is often most successful when we invite Anne Darling into school to speak to our older children and their parents. Anne is an independent child protection consultant. 
She devises and delivers training for students, teachers, parents and sports coaches within the schools and sports sector. And her presentations and question and answer sessions are always much enjoyed by children and parents alike. I asked Anne whether there was a particular age when it was appropriate to start communicating online. I mean, it very much depends on the child. And it's exactly the same as anything else we decide. As a parent, we decide when a child is is sensible enough to go to the shops by themselves, to go to the park by themselves. And that's the same with with, with, um, online media. I mean, a lot of of places like Google social media will suggest 13, but we know that children are going on long before that. Um, They're they're going on much younger or they're going on uh, with friends. And we've got to be prepared for that. I think as we reach early teenage years, what we should be doing is making sure that our children are aware of the dangers. And that's where what happens much, much earlier is really, really important. We should be going on with our children. The minute that they are on media, whatever it is, we should go on it with them. Perhaps we can practice with them. An idea might be, for instance, to have a family social media play page, which you can go on with your child so that they can learn uh, how to use the media sensibly. So I think, as I say, there isn't a definite age. You can't say at 10, it's fine. But like everything else, as they reach teenage years, we have to start letting go because we're not going to be able to be looking after them over their shoulder for the rest of their lives. We mm-hmm. have to make that decision. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and and we understand as a school that we 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 have to play a part in, in doing that and helping to support and give good advice and education. Mm-hmm. But you've been very kind in the past. You've come in and spoken to our children and to our parents about these things. And and I think one of the, the key questions that parents want to ask you is, is what, what would you say are the golden rules for keeping your child safe online? Well, I mean, what parents would really like me to do is to say, right, here's five um, apps you can go on that will stop your child um, going on to bad sites, will allow you to monitor them, allow you to track them. Unfortunately, there isn't such a thing. And the answer is much more complex. And really, the answer is working together, keeping lines of communication open with your child. Any time they go on a new site, they pick up a new game, they do anything, go on it with them first. Ask them, show me how to do this, get them involved in it. Keep on checking afterwards um, just to make sure that they haven't added somebody else or gone on to a more difficult site. All these things. But again, it's to do with keeping communication open, asking them. What will happen is, is your child at some stage will go on to a site they shouldn't have. Unfortunately, they'll get a fright. They'll think, well, I shouldn't be on this. It's really important that they are aware that they can talk to you, that you're not going to give them a big row and, and take away their, their iPad and say they're never allowed online again. It's about making sure that that's there and that they've got that opportunity to speak to you about things that might be, be frightening. And that's about communication. It's also about you what are you doing online? What are you showing your child? How good a role model are you being? It's not very fair to say to a child, you know, that you can't be on your phone all the time. And then suddenly at uh, dinner time, that very important work call has to be taken by mum or dad. And maybe that's to do with setting up. I think a good idea is to set up a, a family agreement that everybody agrees with things like there shouldn't be any uh, media in bedrooms at night, that family time around the table is family time. It's these sort of things that I think are much more important than all all the blocking mechanisms that you could put on to various devices. 
And and you can't see me blushing at this end, I don't think, at the at the thought that I might well be breaking some of those rules at the dinner table on occasions <laughs> as well. But I think that's really good advice. From your experience coming into Cargofield, you've spoken to our children and spoken to parents. What have you found have been their concerns or, or, or the things that they find? I think that the interesting thing is the difference from the first time I came into cargo field where I was able to, it was actually good fun because I was able to go through lots of different um, posts that they put up and I put them up and showed them just how easy it was for me to see them. So although I think it gave them a shock and, and gave us quite a laugh, I think, in many ways from, from the children's faces when they realised what I could find out, it was obviously quite dangerous because if I could find out that much, then anybody could. Interesting enough, the last time I went in, I couldn't find anything. The only thing I could find about young people in cargo food was all good stuff. It was stuff very well done by the school. And that shows how far children and young people, parents and the school have come um, in terms of keeping the uh, keeping our children safe the other interesting thing is is how little parents knew about what their children knew we like to think that our children are still young we innocent creatures unfortunately sometimes they're not and sometimes the things that the children told me when I then told the parents the things that children knew sites they'd seen and things that they had been on which they knew they shouldn't have been parents were quite shocked and I don't think they realized just um how much time and how children were managing to access things that they didn't think they would be, whether that's other people's houses, big brothers, big sisters, all these different ways. And again, that's that bit about keeping talking to children. What have you been looking at? And preparing them for things. We don't like to think that our young teenagers are going to be accessing sexual imagery, pornography. But unfortunately, we know that the average age children start to or see something like that is, is actually... 11. So we have to prepare children for that, not to shock them, not to frighten them, but to prepare them that they might Google something quite innocent. And even just being children, you know, let's Google the word sex. You know, in our days or my day, you did that by looking up a dictionary. Hugely different now. And where can they be taken to from that? And again, it's reassuring children, preparing for that and telling them that you want to speak to them if they see things like that, not to give them a row, but to discuss it with them. And that's about that pre-teenage stage that we should start preparing. Thank you. Yeah. And, I, and I, I'm very conscious of that, that the children at our age, who where there are lots of restrictions about their use of technology, they are about to go into senior schools where they will have much greater freedom, largely almost always having a mobile phone and having much wider access to the Internet. And we've got to prepare them for that. And one, one thing that I know is uh, a concern for some parents because they they see their children gaming online and they, they recognise that they're getting access to other people and speaking to other people through games. Yeah. What, what, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, that's like so many things on the online world. There's great things about that. How great to be able to, to play a game, especially in these times just now when poor children are, are stuck in their houses so much more. It's wonderful for them able to play a game and communicate with their friends. But it's also obviously it can be really dangerous. All the things that can happen um, in, the offline, in the offline world, bullying, sexual imagery, violence, all these things can happen online. And obviously it is an opportunity or can be an opportunity for paedophiles to get hold and to start to talk to children. It is one of these things where I think it's really important that parents check every single game. 
Check the age limit. It's there for a reason. Check the, the who it is that the children are talking to. You can, and I think this is one where I do think it's important to actually limit the number of children, the number of, of people that children can access. So check who it is that their children are talking to, that it's not an, op an open anybody who's on that game to chat at the same time. And again, going on every now, don't allow a child on a game unless you've been through it first, because you just don't know where something might just come in that you weren't expecting. And we were talking previously about some of the benefits of, of, of yes. parents playing games with their children, yes. that, that, that actually electronic games, which aren't everybody's cup of tea, are, are, are great ways for parents and children to get together. They are, and particularly if you wanted to ch actually chat to your child about something, whether it's online or actually offline, there's something about not being in a face-to-face -face conversation. Children, if you say to a child, excuse me, can we sit down and have a chat? You know what happens. They immediately, ah, I'm going to get a row. There's a sort of stress about it. Whereas if you're playing, you're having fun, you're on a game, and you say, oh, by the way, how's things going on at school? Or what have you been doing online last night? All these things, it's so much easier if there's something else that it's not so intense. And certainly we know that a lot of children will tell parents things during these games that they would never have done if you'd sat them down in the lounge and said, OK, it's time for a chat. Um, it really is a big advantage, as well as the other ones. Great for hand-eye coordination, great for being able to think about different things at different times, fast thinking, all these things. It's not all bad by any manner of means. No. And as my boys will tell you, if you want to put your father in his place, FIFA 19 <laughs> is the best place to start. Um, thank you so much. It's been lovely chatting to you this morning. We are thoroughly looking forward to having you back on site with us and hopefully speaking to children and parents again, whether, whether it be live or, or, or indeed through a medium like this. But take care and we very much look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks for your advice. Thank you. Today. Bye. This is, of course, a massive subject and hard to sum up in a 30 minute podcast. And I have so many thoughts on the subject. As we get back to school, we will, of course, have learned a great deal about how video calls can enhance what we do. Meaningful conversations with parents don't now require both parents to be in the same place as each other or the teacher. Parents can look into what schools offer and make initial visits without even getting in the car. Parents and staff can access education and training more easily. Children will be able to access their learning when they can't be in school, for whatever reason. I wonder, have we just witnessed the last proper snow day? Part of me hopes not. Our role won't just be safety training, but also preparing our children to present themselves online, just as we prepare them to act on stage, to debate, to make presentations or read in chapel. That said, we've also learnt over the last few months that the most important part of school is not something that can be achieved online. We are going to continue to prioritise all the opportunities that being physically present allow. The time spent with friends, the daily opportunities for sport, the creative arts, the teams, the choirs, the music groups, the collaborative art projects and adventurous training activities. More time should be spent at school amongst your peers rather than less. And we, as so many schools will be, we're looking forward to offering that. 
Thank you very much for listening to our podcast. And if you found it useful, please do share it with friends and family. We will return in early April with our next podcast, and that will be on the subject of reading, both learning to read and how to help children enjoy the experience. For the moment, take care and we look forward to speaking to you soon.